0: we focusing on the, the life of the Old Testament patriarch, Joseph. And uh, Joseph is a type of Christ. That means his life is foreshadowing uh, the life of Jesus. And throughout the Old Testament, there are these small prophetic uh, snapshots through the lives uh, of individuals where they're living an example of Christ. They're foreshadowing the coming of the Messiah. And with Joseph, it's perhaps the most vivid of those prophetic snapshots. For instance, Joseph was, excuse me, Jesus was betrayed by his disciple, which was Judas. Joseph was betrayed by his own brothers. Jesus was betrayed for the price of 30 pieces of silver. Joseph was betrayed for the price of 20 shekels of silver. Jesus was stripped of his garment and he was handed over to the Gentiles. Joseph was stripped of his coat of many colors and he was given to the Ishmaelites. Jesus was tempted to sin but did not sin. Joseph was tempted by Potiphar's wife to sin and he did not sin. So Jesus was innocently convicted and condemned to death. Joseph was innocently convicted and condemned to prison. So we can see again, the life of Jesus is foreshadowed through Joseph. And Joseph at the time of his betrayal was 17 years old. And betrayal, when you think about betrayal, Betrayal will cause a deep emotional wound and Betrayal cuts deepest when that betrayal is is committed by people who are closest to us the people we trust and love the most if they betray us a Betrayal will cut so deep So it's a wound that's caused by betrayal if it's not dealt with uh, Properly it will have long lasting effects on our lives uh, a wound caused by a betrayal will cause us to to lose trust in every relationship, every meaningful relationship. If we've been deeply wounded by a betrayal, it will erode away the trust out of every meaningful relationship, including your relationship with God. Joseph suffered 13 years of hardships. I want you to think about that. 13 years this young man suffers hardships that he didn't deserve. For 13 years, this young man could have become bitter, he could have been angry, he could have been frustrated, he could have been mad at God, but he, that's, not, that's not the way he emerges from his suffering. So, after 13 years in prison and as a slave, uh, Joseph is called upon by Pharaoh to interpret a dream. It, Pharaoh has this dream. He knows it's bigger than himself. He knows it's some type of warning, but no one in his kingdom can interpret the dreams. Here's about this young man named Joseph who was in prison. Calls Joseph out of prison and has him interpret the dreams. Uh, the dreams warned to Egypt that there was a future famine coming. And there would be seven years of abundance and followed by seven years of famine. So Pharaoh appoints Joseph to oversee this process of preparing Egypt for the famine. And of course, we know the story, Joseph wisely prepares Egypt for the famine. By the second year of the famine, the nations in that region were without food, and they had to travel to Egypt to find food. In that second year of the famine, Joseph's brothers had to travel to Egypt in search of food. Now, since they were foreigners, they have to stand before the governor, and the governor happens to be Joseph. Of course, the brothers don't recognize Joseph, but Joseph recognizes the brothers. Now, I want you to imagine this. Joseph is the second most powerful man in the world, the known world at this time. I mean, he is second to Pharaoh. Pharaoh, Egypt is an empire at this time. And here he has all the power, he has all the authority that he could pay back his brothers and give them what they deserve. He could have them beaten, he could have them thrown in prison, and he could have them uh, uh, condemned to death, or he could do all of those things. But here he stands as a man who could possibly wounded and bitter, and he could pour out all his wrath upon those who has hurt him. But Joseph doesn't harm his brothers. It's an amazing story. Uh, He doesn't chastise his brothers. How many of us being in that position of power and authority would at least chastise our brothers or chastise those who have hurt us? He doesn't expose their sins to the world. He doesn't say, oh, these are my brothers who betrayed me and exposed their sins. He doesn't do that. Joseph isn't bitter towards his brothers. Joseph stands before his brothers without any malice, without any bitterness. And listen to what Joseph says to his brothers. And this is Genesis 45, verse 5. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves. He's consoling them. Because you sold me here, for God sent me here before you to preserve life. For these two years, the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a prosperity for you uh, in the earth and save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh, Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. It's an incredible perspective, and he can only have this perspective. He can only show grace and mercy to people who don't deserve grace and mercy if he has peace with God. And that's really what it comes down to with Joseph. The reason why Joseph isn't going to pour out all his malice and bitterness because he doesn't have it. And the reason why he doesn't have it is because he has peace with God. I thought about this when I thought about Joseph's story. And I instantly thought about a verse that Paul shares in Philippians chapter four, verse seven. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, because this is exactly what is taking place in the life of Joseph. There is no good human reason in our minds we can think of why a person would be so gracious and so merciful. Brothers are not, these men intended on killing this young man if it weren't for God to save him, send these Ishmaelites, Ishmaelite traitors in the path to give them a different opportunity, they would have killed him. So here are brothers who would murder you because they're envious and jealous of you. And here is a young man who has all the power, all the authority to destroy them, or at least give them some payback. But what does he do? He shows them grace and mercy. It's only God that can provide that. It's only the peace of God that can put you in this position. And it's this verse that just comes to mind when we think of Joseph, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, that's where we like to stop, right? But check out what it says in the next verse. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Listen, don't just say yes and amen. You put them into practice. Think on things which are honorable, which are good. Practice these things. And look, and the peace of God will be with you. The peace Joseph has doesn't make sense to the flesh because it's peace that surpasses all understanding. We can experience the peace of God in the midst of our pain. However, if we choose to dwell on our pain, the peace of God will evade us. If we choose to think of the things which are honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and worthy of praise, we have a path towards peace. And I'm not suggesting that we pretend our pain isn't real. I'm not suggesting we pretend that a betrayal never happened in our life. We've never been hurt. We've never been offended. That is a very unhealthy strategy. But if we gel- dwell on our pain and the circumstances which cause our pain, that focus will become between us and God, ourselves and God. Often when we choose to go back, revisit things that are hurtful from our past, painful situations, maybe when we've been betrayed or we've been, uh, we've been offended, We do so with regret, and here's what I mean. One of the first things we do when we go down memory lane, we get to a bad place and we begin to dwell on things that have happened to us, God, why? You ever ask God why? God, why me? Why did I have to endure this? Why did I have to go through this? Why did you allow these circumstances to take place? Why did you allow me to suffer so long? And it's a legitimate question, but if you stay there, you're not gonna have the peace of God. You're never gonna have the peace of God staying in that place. We stay there in that place of regret. All we'll experience is just pain and this replaying this out, rehashing this out. Now, this is what we ought to pray. There's nothing wrong with saying, God, why? That doesn't offend God and it's a good question. God, I don't understand why I suffered the way I suffered. But don't just leave it there. Go on to the next step. God, I don't understand why I suffered, but help me to understand why I suffered. What is the purpose? What is the meaning? Because everything happens for a reason. Everything has purpose. Nothing happens by accident. Nothing happens by coincidence. Why did you allow this to happen is a legitimate question. But not just questioning and having regret, but God, allow me to understand. Allow me to see and experience the purpose. And that's where Joseph has to go. God, I don't understand, but help me. God gives you peace. Church, regret is nothing but a bottomless pit. Regret is nothing but a bottomless pit. Don't get stuck there. At some point in his 22-year journey, because by this time, when he stands before his brothers, 22 years have passed. Joseph was in this place where he had moved away from his pain, and he now experiences the peace of God. And it's because Joseph had peace with God, he could genuinely show grace and mercy to his brothers. Because Joseph had peace with God, he understood why God allowed those hardships to occur. Joseph didn't suffer because he had sinned. He didn't suffer because he deserved mistreatment. God selected Joseph to endure these trials, and here's why. God trusted him. Now, I want you to think about the brothers. Do you really want to trust any of those 12 or 11 other brothers to help provide and or or be in a place where he could preserve the family to be sold into slavery and then be put into a position of power i'm sorry any one of those other brothers would have stood in joseph's position said kill them all I mean, just just wipe them out because they were they had murderous thoughts already they already were in this place where they're going to murder joseph do you think they would have gotten any better i don't think so so god wisely chooses joseph to suffer because he knows this, Joseph is not going to get stuck and he's not gonna pay his brothers what they really deserve. He's gonna show them grace. So here's my question, do we wanna be like Joseph? Do we wanna be a person who can be genuinely offended, genuinely betrayed, genuinely hurt, but regardless to those things, show grace and mercy? Or do we wanna put ourselves in the position of God so that we can condemn others and find justice for ourselves? Justice can make our flesh feel vindicated. Uh, But it's not the healing we need. It's not the healing that that eludes us. Because what we really need in that situation is the peace of God. The peace God offers us goes beyond all we can think and we can imagine. The peace that will help us recover from our pain. After Joseph is reunited with his brothers, he instructs them to return to Canaan bring uh, their families along with their father and live there in Goshen under his protection. And Joseph was able to spend 17 more years with his father. 17 more years he was able to spend with Jacob before Jacob dies. And when Jacob dies there in Goshen, they take his body back to Canaan, him and the brothers, Joseph and his brothers, they return to Canaan, they bury Jacob's body. Now afterwards, when they return to Goshen, the brothers are a little worried. Because they believe, all right, this may be just a front. Joseph loves our father. He doesn't want to dishonor our father. And so with our father now dead and gone, he is going to pay us back what we deserve. Here's the conversation that they have. This is the worry they have. In Genesis chapter 50, verse 15, when Joseph saw his brothers, saw, brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. I mean, there's no hiding it. They, they're not denying what they've done. They're confessing, they're owning it. We, we did evil to this man. So they sent messengers to Joseph saying, before your father died, he commanded saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin for they did evil to you. Now, please forgive the trespasses of the servants of the the God of your father and Joseph look at this he wept when they spoke to him then his brothers also went so they send messengers ahead and now they appear before Joseph himself remember he's still the governor of Egypt and the brothers also went and fell down before his face and they said behold we are your servants now look at what Joseph said this is this is amazing Joseph said to them, do not be afraid For I am, for am I in the place of God. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Man, he still has the right perspective. In order to bring about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. The powerful, the most powerful statement in there is this. Do not be afraid. For am I in the place of God? Do not be afraid, for I am in the place for am I in the place of God? Joseph is not assuming the place of God. He has every opportunity to exact revenge on his brothers. whatever justice he wants to give to his brothers, he is entitled to it. Legally, he would be entitled to this. I mean, everyone would condone what he's done. If, if people knew how these brothers treated him and all the suffering he, in, he endured, if this case went to trial, it would be a thumbs down for these brothers. Whatever justice the system wanted to give these people is what they deserve. But Joseph is taking that responsibility out of his hands and he's giving it to God. Church, that's a powerful lesson right there. Joseph isn't saying this. He's not saying this, God is your judge and he's gonna give you what you deserve. He's not saying that. See, that's still a way of saying this. Uh, you're going to get paid back. There's vengeance in those words. But that's not what Joseph says. That's not what he has in his heart. And if we allow ourselves to go down the path of vengeance, we will not experience the peace of God. The relationship Joseph has with God gave you so much peace, there's no need for vengeance. There's no need to, to give his brothers what they deserve. Listen to what Paul writes to the church in Colossians chapter three, verse one. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things on the earth. For you have died and you have, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Verse five, we're gonna skip down to verse five. Put to death therefore what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity passion evil desire covetousness which is idolatry on account of these the wrath of god is coming in these you once walked when you were living in them Uh, you must put them all away anger wrath malice slander and obscene talk from your mouth and do not lie to one another seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices And you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. If you're born again, you have a new self and you have the old self. The new self you want to continue to put on, the old self you want to continue to take off. Your old self will want vengeance. Your flesh will want vengeance. In the eyes of man, you may be entitled to it. You may gather a crowd of people around you that says, you're right. That is the right desire to have. There's nothing wrong with having vengeance. God is all about justice. Give them justice. And I'm not saying if a crime has been committed that we shouldn't seek justice. That's not what I'm saying. Please hear me. However, we will never receive peace from this world or the systems of this world. Our peace only comes from God. Justice and vengeance will never give you peace. Paul tells us to put to death these desires of the flesh and to live according to the spirit. If we live according to the desires of our flesh, the peace of God will always elude us. If we live according to the spirit, we will find the peace that we all desperately need. And too often people who have been wounded and betrayed, they'll they'll dwell on the injustices of their past or the injustices that they're dealing with. And as a result, they become callous to the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is like, listen, listen, let God take care of this. You don't need to go down, vengeance belongs to God, not you, don't go down that path, don't get yourself going down that place and we continue to resist, we continue to be angry, we continue to be bitter and we become callous to the Holy Spirit. I've seen this scenario so many times. And after, finally, after years and years of dealing with this, that people get to this place that they understand the futility of vengeance. For years, they seek vengeance. They will give them peace, and it doesn't. Only they come to see that, you know what? I've lived in darkness unnecessarily. Years I've been living in darkness, wanting vengeance, and the peace of God eludes me. At some point, we have to trust God will be God, church. And this is more difficult than we think. Listen to what Paul writes to Christians in, in Rome, in Romans chapter 12. Verse 17, repay no one evil for evil, repay no one evil for evil, have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you and I, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine i will repay says the lord therefore if your enemy is hungry feed him if he is thirsty give him drink for in doing so you will hold, keep coals of fire on his head do not overcome be do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good as a christian you have to decide for yourself whether this book is god's word or not You know, I can't convince you or argue with you. It's really a matter of faith. You either believe it's God's word or it's not. If you come to this place where you believe this is God's word, then there's two things you need to know about this. Number one is this, it's infallible. It's incapable of making errors. If it's God's word, are you following me? It's incapable of making errors. And then number two, it's authoritative. It has the authority in your life. It's the final say-so. Now we as Christians, and we especially as Pentecostals, we like to invoke the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit told me to do this. God told me to do this. Really, did he? Because if he did, then it would be confirmed right here. But see, too often I find that that language, that speech, is not followed up by facts or truth. It's a lot of emotion. It's just what we want, what we desire, rather than what God has said. And if the Holy Spirit who dwells in you says something different from God's Word, then the the Holy Spirit who lives in you is double-minded. It can't be trusted. Or the Word can't be trusted. See, the Holy Spirit inspired men to write. So why is he going to be double-minded? Say one thing and then say something different. It's not the way it works. What I find out is this. We often say, well, the Holy Spirit told me to do this. God told me to do it. And it's not God. It's not the Holy Spirit. It's just you. It's just me, what we want, what we desire. Vengeance does not belong to us. It belongs to God. And that's what the Bible says. Vengeance belongs to God, and it's hypocritical for any Christian to act in the place of God. God is God, and yet we put ourselves in the position of God when it comes to those who hurt us. We want justice and we'll seek justice with either our attitudes or our actions. Sometimes it's subtle, and other times it's just blatant. I'll give you an example. Sometimes. It's blatant that we just react with anger and force, hostility. Uh, There's no hiding it. Someone has offended you, they hurt you. There's no subtlety about it. You just lash out. Then other times we're more subtle. We're a little more dignified, but still equally as vengeful. So what we do is we try to curry favor with other people. We go and rat on someone. We expose them. And we then give them to the public and say, there you have it. You judge them. It's vengeance, it's all vengeance. And that belongs to God, not you and I. You know, we would just keep ourselves out so much trouble if we just keep our big mouth shut. No matter how justified we are in a situation. And listen, you can look through this book and you can find all kinds of counsel from people who say they're Christians and they can make you feel good about the actions you wanna take. But you gotta be so careful, church. So careful, cause you can manipulate the word, and you can manipulate the counsel that you get when you have the power to do what you feel is right. But you choose to obey God's word. I'm telling you this: that healing, healing that you need is so near. It is so in in touch. Just it's just waiting there for you. Vengeance is a position we take when we've been wrong, and it's very normal. That's what the flesh wants to. Do. It wants to be. It wants to be vindicated. But vengeance will keep us from showing forgiveness. And if it keeps us from showing forgiveness, it keeps us from receiving forgiveness. Vengeance is defined as punishment inflicted or retribution exacted for an injury or wrong. When you think of vengeance, this is what it is it's revenge. It's retribution, it's retaliation, it's reprisal, a comeback, satisfaction, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, tit for tat, blow for blow. Has anybody ever wanted vengeance? If we're set on vengeance rather than forgiveness, the wound we want healed will remain open and deep. Forgiveness will be held hostage by vengeance. Vengeance forgiveness will be held hostage by vengeance again vengeance again i'm not saying that we shouldn't want to receive justice for a criminal offense It's not what i'm saying i'm just saying this justice will not give you peace it will not give you peace there still is a wound that has to be taken care of and only the peace of god can help you with that if we want someone to know uh, a person's hurt us if we want uh, a person to come and confess their sin to me or to us who have offended us, or we want them to confess to somebody. If we want that person to acknowledge the pain that they've caused, if we want others to know what that, that person has put us through, church, that's called vengeance. We think of vengeance too, too narrowly. This is how we think of vengeance. And like old Westerns, you like old Westerns? Homesteaders out there providing for his family. He's out in the field, some drunken cowboys come through, kill the family, burn the farm. The the homesteader, he survives, and what does he do? He swears vengeance, and he's going to hunt down each one of those drunken cowboys, and he does so, and he kills them all. And it's great for TV, makes you feel good, but if that was real life, that man has a deep hole in his soul. And he's going to find this after he killed every one of them. The peace that he wants is still eluding him. Someone mistreats us at work, what do we want to do? We want to expose them. That's vengeance. Someone we know says something that hurts us, we want to, exp- we want to expose it on social media. It's called vengeance. Vengeance belongs to God, not us. Remember, when you gave your life to Jesus, it belongs to him. It doesn't belong to you. We trust God to deal with our situations or we put that trust in ourselves. It's God's responsibility to deal with those who've wounded us. Vengeance will keep us captive and will prevent us from showing forgiveness. And when Joseph said to his brothers, I'm not the judge, God is the judge. I thought about exactly what Jesus said from the cross. And I want you to think about the words Jesus spoke from the cross. Luke 23, verse 32, there were also two criminals led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, they were crucified. They crucified him and the criminals on the right hand and on the other, the other on the left. And then Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Now, if you know the entire context, he's not talking about the men on the left or right. He's talking about the men on the left and the right and everywhere before him. From the cross, Jesus looks at the Roman soldiers who are gambling for his garments and says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Jesus is on the cross. He's looking at people who are reviling him, spitting upon him, cursing him. And he says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. If Judas had came to the cross and repented, Jesus would have forgave him and said, Father, forgive him. He doesn't know what he'd done. Jesus looks at you and I and he says, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. We are sinners. We're all guilty of sin, each and every one of us. We've all offended the holy God each and every one of us. But Jesus offers us grace and forgiveness that none of us deserve. So let me ask you this question. Which of our sins did Jesus not die for? Which of our sins did Jesus not die for? I mean, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. So if we're willing to confess our sin and repent of us and he's willing to forgive us of our sin. Which of the sins committed against us by others is God unwilling to forgive? God is willing to forgive each and every one of us of our sins. If we come in repentance, he is willing to forgive us of our sins. Vengeance will keep us from showing forgiveness. Deep down, some of us don't want people who hurt us to be forgiven. Let's just be honest. There are some people you've come across, there are some situations you've endured and you've encountered that you really don't want that person forgiven. The last thing you want is them forgiven and going to heaven. We want them to suffer. We want them to confess. We want them to be found out. We want them to be known for their errors, held accountable for their errors. This verse is often misused in our day and age. Matthew chapter seven, I'm gonna read verses one through two. I'm gonna skip down to verse five. Judge not that you be not judged have you heard that before i get sick of hearing it because it's always misquoted and misused taking it completely out of context for the judgment you pronounce you will be judged and with the measure you use it will be measured to you you hypocrite first take out the log out of your own eye and then you will clearly see that the speck out of your own out of your brother's eye now people will misquote this misuse this and they don't want to be held accountable for their sins quite honestly now listen, if you take it that way, you can't say anything against anyone who's committed a sin, then what I'm doing up here can't be done. You can't preach the Bible then. You can't teach God's word. If that's the way we understand, well, you know, so-and-so is your friend, and they, they did this. They got drunk, and they slept on their their spouse, and you're like, hey, you know, drunkenness and adultery just that's not a good thing don't you judge me that's not what the bible says and this really has to do a lot with salvation don't put yourself in the place of judging someone's soul again if this is the way we handle judge not least you be judged there's no preacher there's no christian that can ever say anything can't even can't even share god's word If we want someone judged for their sins, then you should expect to be judged for your sins. That's what we're saying. Unforgiveness directly opposes the nature and character of God. Unforgiveness arises out of betrayal. Unforgiveness arises out of being offended. Unforgiveness arises out of feeling that there's been injustice and there is a desire for vengeance. Unforgiveness arises out of a feeling of injustice and a desire for vengeance. I understand sin is sin, however, there are a number of sins that will quickly jeopardize your salvation. I'll give me an example james four: six but he gives more grace, therefore it says, but God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now this is what I often find when it comes to us wanting vengeance is there's a place of pride there. We want to be God and not allow God to be God in the situation we want this person to be handled our way despite how God wants to handle them. Satan is the source of all sin, and he's the source of all pride. Remember, he puts himself in the place of God, and there's a battle in heaven, and he's removed from that, and at the heart of all sin is pride. And pride will put us in a position of unforgiveness. God's word instructs us to forgive, but if we choose not to forgive others for whatever reason, the source of that is pride. Pride. We don't want to forgive, we want them to be held accountable. And unforgiveness will jeopardize our salvation. And you say, why do you say that? Because Jesus said it in Matthew 6, 15. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. The need for vengeance is so dangerous to our salvation. And this is why we need to determine for ourselves that God is God and let's let him be the judge. We can only take this position when we have peace with God, peace that surpasses all understanding. And if we've ever been betrayed or offended or suffered a wound, we need healing, and that healing is available to those who draw close to God. When justice doesn't happen the way we think it ought to, what do we do? We look for the source of justice, which is God. When justice isn't done the way we think it should be done, we look to the source, which is God. Now, the people who offend us the most, the people who betray us the most, hurt us the most, are those we love the most and are trusting the most. God is the person we love the most and trust the most. And he has a greater potential to to offend us and what we feel is betrayed than anyone else. When God doesn't do what we think that he should do, we feel betrayed. God, why did you allow me to suffer? Why did you allow this person to do this to me? Why did I have to go through this? Why did I have to go through that? We lose our faith and our trust in God. Again, in all of our relationships, God has the greater ability to offend us. Joseph didn't travel down that path. He didn't travel down that path. He could have been angry with God. God, you gave me these dreams. You're the one who gave them to me, shared them with me, said I was gonna do this, that, and all I got is prison and slavery. And then when I'm in prison and slavery, I'm mistreated, I'm forgotten. Could have been very better but he didn't and return what does god give joseph peace that surpasses all understanding listen your pain and your suffering has given you a distorted view of god if that's what you feel like god you've left me short you'll never learn the reason for your pain and your suffering and experience the peace you need if you're blaming it on god